detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery, a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. You're uh, you're injecting an intensity into summer vacation greatest discovery that I wasn't <laughs> expecting. <laughs> I'm I'm recording from a hammock right now. Oh yeah. I, I, oh, you're nice making to... me have to sit up straight, and that's incredibly hard in a hammock. I was wondering why I heard all those shorebirds yeah. calling out in the background and the uh, unmistakable scrape of a cocktail umbrella against your microphone foam. I'm I'm eating soft shell crab. <laughs> I don't actually think I've ever had a soft shell crab. That's the crab where you eat the whole thing, shell yeah. and all, right? You've never had that? No. What's that oh, like? Oh man. We gotta, we gotta get you some soft shell crab. It's a real treat. That's an East Coast thing, right? Like if we go to Washington D.C. for a, a tour stop, that's what we would do there. Like I a, that's so, a Baltimore yeah. thing, like with the bay. Well, here's the thing: all crabs have a soft shell phase. It's just about when, where in the molting cycle they are when you catch them. Oh, this is like the veal of crabs. You're you're getting them when they're when they're young. Is that the deal? When they're young. It's like the, I think that periodically they. They're like snakes. They have they their their shell doesn't grow. They have to like slough it off and then oh. and then grow a new one. So there's like a period of time where crabs are soft little guys, and uh, and you batter them and fry them, and they're delicious. Is the is the ocean floor littered with these sloughed off crab shells? Yeah, it's a real mess down there. I mean, we feel bad about all the plastic we're dumping into the ocean, yeah. but really it's the crabs that should be ashamed of themselves. There's just a sloughed off crab shell island floating <laughs> in the middle of the Pacific. Hey, speaking of delicious delights, I was talking to our buddy Adam Ragusia the other day, who oh, made yeah? the theme song of this show among all of our all of our Star Trek shows. I'm surprised he had time for you. I know he's a he's a big time YouTube celebrity now, but uh, I was uh, I was talking to him about the uh, the Picard trailer and how they show the the Chateau Picard wine. That's uh-huh. kind of like the main thing in the trailer. Yeah, and we were talking like there's got to be like some recipes we can do featuring that wine, assuming that gets released, and then like maybe there could be a little greatest gen. Uh, Adam Ragusea oh, yeah. YouTube cooking channel crossover. We could do a beef bourguignon. <laughs> beef blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> Felice beefy bee. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it seems impossible that they would not have a branded Chateau Picard red wine product available, right? God, you know that's coming, and it's going to be garbage, though, right? It'll be bad. But, you know, like, the good thing is, like, you don't want to cook with, like, the fanciest wine in the world. And I think it will be good for cooking. Okay. But it'll probably be, like, it'll probably be, like, $25 a bottle, which kind of is more than I want to spend. Attainable for most, as a novelty, I would say. Right. But not, like, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd say if I'm buying wine that I know I'm going to cook with, I'm going for the, like, 10 and under 
kind of price category. Mad Dog. Maybe the way we should destroy the Millennium Falcon is with a bottle of Chateau Picard. <laughs> like in the beginning of Star Trek Generations, it's just like a five-minute slow-motion video of the bottle spinning towards the completed kit. <laughs> That's the movie. That is the movie, man. That's a, uh, that would be just, great. Just just rolling credits over it. <laughs> ben, we've been making too much work for ourselves. I think this is all we need to do. We're going to have to get a camera that shoots at an insanely high frame rate to get the weightlessness effect oh, we've got from that. a bottle that we have launched with enough kinetic energy to shred a, a Lego Millennium Falcon. You know, one thing that I neglected to say during uh, the live show for Top Gun that we did for Friendly Fire was that uh, they shot all of the model work with high-speed cameras, and in order to make the, like, so you shoot those sequences in super high frame rate, and then you slow them down because it makes model work look real, like that that transfer of speed. And so to... To sell the effect, they hooked up a cordless drill to the bottom of each camera, with and that drill is connected to a bit connected to a wooden disc whose center-punched hole is off-center. And so they had a camera assistant yeah. uh, hit the button for the drill, and so it would spin the out-of-axis wooden dowel to shake the camera in such a way <laughs> that when it was shooting during high speed, you would get like a realistic camera wobble uh, wow. that worked with the frame rate change. Right. Because there's like, there's not just like the shaky cam effect that yeah. I'm sure that contributes to, but also like a, like the pin register in a, in a film camera is, it, it's not a, flawlessly precise operation yeah. like where the where the where each frame winds up in front of the the opening the aperture yeah like in and you see this in in like if you watch an old film like if you look at like titles they they kind of float a little bit yeah. on screen because yeah. they they're shot on separate film and then there's like a, a process but right that kind of exposes the float that you would n- normally never notice. Yeah, so that's all by way of saying, uh, I think we have a plan and a process. I have a cordless drill. I have two of them. I think what we need to do, because I, because I, I want to get this done sooner rather than later. I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get hamstrung by the, by the Star Trek industrial complex taking a long time to get the Chateau Picard wine out on the market. Uh huh. I discovered on uh, some deep dark corner of Reddit somebody had somebody had like meticulously played back that trailer and and made a copy of the label that you can download as like Perfect. a Photoshop document. So we'll make our own we'll make we'll make our own Chateau Picard. Awesome! I love yeah. it. I love that we used our uh, our Marin to totally pre-produce this thing. It's <laughs> Let's get great. a little work done. Yeah. <laughs> Very efficient. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a glancing reference to the existence of that trailer, which I'm sure we would have heard about if we hadn't mentioned. Right. Do you want to get into the second half of the Captain Saru comic book, Adam? I sure do, Ben. Let's finish this baby up. It's uh, it's the second half of the Star Trek Discovery annual comic book. It's called Captain Saru, and we're picking it up at around page 26. 
So when we left off, the crew of the Dorothy Garad had been captured by the Orions, and they're in cells that are, they're commenting on how garbagey these cells are, how embarrassed the Orions should be to have constructed their ship out of actual metal, etc., etc. But Tilly... Uh, Tilly has the first line in this second half of the comic book. It's one of those S edits of comics where it's uh, it's her line, but on a on a panel uh, that Saru is in, and uh, she's saying, "I have faith in Discovery's captain." Uh, so so this is a pretty desperate deal, right? Like the the idea that uh, that all of these Starfleets are going to be killed or sold into slavery and that the only price to secure their safety that the Orions will accept is the entire starship discovery. This is an instance of a setup and a potential payoff, one of many in this half of the comic book, I think. And I think as we, as we summarize it, we will, (laughs) we will talk about how, uh, how none of these setups are really paid off in the way that you think. Yeah, like the idea of of a Federation starship crew being sold into slavery, like that is a ten out of ten scandal, were right. it to ever happen. That would be, I would say, like grounds for Starfleet to like go to war with the Orions, right? Right. And what this book effectively does is it takes these larger matters and reduces them into these these micro aggressions. Like yeah. we n- we never really understand the threat here at a at a larger level, which mm-hmm. I think is is appropriate. Like this feels very comic booky as a story, right? Saru gets back on the FaceTime with the uh, with the captain of the Orion ship, and he makes a deal with her, basically like this: you can have this go, and the. Then what you have to do is put everybody back on the Dorothy Garad and also give them the tools they need to fix that ship up so that she can she can uh, fly out of there. Which uh, you know it's it's one of those it's one of those dramatic moments where you see it feels like too high a, a price to to give up to the bad guys. Right. Uh, it's it's a surprising move. It does not seem. It's hard to wrap your mind around Saru making this deal. And and Vera, the Orion captain, uh, does not seem caught off guard by the acceptance of her terms. She's like, cool, just like I planned it. Uh, yeah. She's like, say that again, but more explicit. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there is no passage of time here. It's almost instantaneous that these crews are swapped. Right. I like to imagine that there are people at stations around the ship who are not hip to this plan, who are just appearing on the Dorothy Garage. Like, uh? <laughs> the fuck is this? Yeah, because like the the bridge crew beams onto the Dorothy Garage, and is it Michael that says we're back aboard the Dorothy Garage? Yeah, <laughs> just like okay, thanks, thanks for telling us. Yeah, do we ever find out what happened with Tilly's dad? Nope, he's not a character in the ep- in the in the issue, is he? He is not. Maybe he's one of those uh, beefy hunks that is also among th- those that beam aboard the bridge. <laughs> a lot of beef in this comic. Yeah. Everybody's uh, everybody's very sexy. All mm. the drawings are very sexy, I would say. I mean, that's that's an Orion thing. Yeah. But I feel, I feel like the Starfleets are also drawn very sexy. Yeah. 
What I'm saying, it's a very jackable comic book. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I did not feel that way. You didn't, you, you didn't categorize this with your Star Trek hentai when you were putting it up on the shelf? Did not. <laughs> My species has the ability to sense the coming. So the Orions are aboard the disco, and uh, it's not just Vera. It's her crew of absolute units. And they are yeah. like swarming <laughs> through the halls, like doing a a room by room, hallway by hallway takeover of the yeah. ship. And it there is uh, from the shadows the appearance of some John McClaning happening uh, as these scout crews roam among the ship. It's everything from like coconutting a couple of Orion heads together by like hands with an unseen operator to uh you know like he's blasting them he's using plants to to uh gas them yeah are those the plants in his quarters or are those the plants in the are those like the the mushrooms on the mycelial it looked like the the mushroom greenhouse to me as a location but it didn't look to me like it's what they do normally right then they sort of Gave it away when you see the uh, the dog penis fingers of the yeah. of the frame of the Orion heads cracking together. Like I uh, I almost wish Saru was wearing gloves, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to sort of not spoil the surprise. Yeah, I liked the homage of the uh, turbo lift opening and there being a dead Orion there yeah. with uh, blood written on his chest. Now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Saru is so dangerous hand-to-hand, hand, but you don't ever see any mule kicks here. Yeah, I also thought his feet looked a little weird. Like, there's definitely frames in this comic book where you see his feet where they look like the hoofs. Mm-hmm. But then there's, like, other parts where he's, like, clamming around in Jeffrey's tubes and his feet are visible and they just look like regular feet. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, one shot in particular, I guess it's, what's it, page 36, it's when when he goes up into the Jeffrey's tubes and his feet are all you see going up into the, up into the skylight. Yeah. And they're, they're, like, the, the hoofness of them is really not pronounced. And then the next shot, they just look like superhero feet. Right. You know? Uh, Vera is really like the sort of hands-off, like terrorism delegation style manager of this thing, like a Hans Gruber. Mm-hmm. So she's like radioing her her units, and they are not radioing back. And it's at this point she understands there to be a problem. Yeah, the double and, cross uh, is apparent at this point. <laughs> I guess the idea is that she is like abandoning her Orion ship in order to. To take this over, essentially, like to trade up, maybe le- leaving a skeleton crew behind, uh, and she gloats for a second, like, "Oh, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to sell this, sell this ship, uh, and retire, or you know, use it, use it as my, as my future piracy flagship?" Um, so it seems like whatever she has been operating from, she she considers to be disposable, but when she realizes the double cross is happening. She's like, get more guys over here, like, as fast as possible, because a single man <laughs> is is taking everybody out two at a time. This is the essential weakness of the end boss in most cases, like the pre-gloat. You can't yeah. be pre-gloating lest you ruin your chances of a real gloat later. 
Sometimes if you gloat too fast, it just ruins it for everyone. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you want to get that gloat out of the way uh, before you beam over to the discovery. So, right. so you've got nothing in the chamber. So and and I guess what Saru arranged with the Dorothy Garad before because there's that brief moment where he gets on FaceTime with them before the Orions take over the disco and it's like like you know we don't have much time and then cut to something else so but but what he arranged with them was that Tilly was going to use the sensors on the Dorothy Garad to figure out uh, whence the Orions are beaming to the disco like if if they're actually looking for the signal it, it makes it easier to spot right. where they're coming from so they're able to pinpoint where the Orion ship is and uh, Saru gets on FaceTime with Vera to explain this to her and she's and she's like I'm gonna blow up the garage now and he's like not so fast that's not where I'm at yeah, he's in the ready room, which is the last place that the units searched. Like it's right <laughs> off of the bridge. They like looked in there and they saw the uh, they saw Captain Lorca's um, fortune cookie still in there, and they're like, "Oh, I I don't I don't mess with carbs at all. Like you can't keep this going if you if you eat cookies just on a whim. So don't even bother going in there." Yeah, they look great, Adam. They really do. Got some gains goals. I know. For me. <laughs> Like they aren't, they aren't super. Like they aren't grotesquely jacked. They're just in very good shape, and that's like yeah. that's like an attainable goal, I think. I've been trying to get in better shape lately. My wife, not into it. What? Yeah, she's like discouraging of this, or she's like, she's like, yeah, you look a little too skinny now. Whoa. Yeah, she wants a thick husband. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. She, she wants me to be a bit more of a thick king. That husband thick. <laughs> ben, I disagree. Yeah, but you and I almost never have sex, so. <laughs> wow. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to secretly get in shape? You going to hide it from her? I'm doing this for me, okay? Yeah, clearly. As you should. So, as anyone should. Yeah. Look, look, personal growth sh- comes from within. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be done for anyone else but the person. Yeah. But I also do want to be attractive to my wife, so right. I, I do feel like there is somewhat of a puzzle here. So wow, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I gotta I gotta figure out what the uh, what the solution is because I do think that there's there's probably a happy medium. Were you a puffy guy when she first met you? I would say when she first met me, I'm I I'm skinnier now than I have been at any time since high school. So. I think probably I was like at a midpoint between where I am now and where I was when I decided I needed to mm-hmm. take a little bit of take a little bit of action on my own behalf. Yeah. But I also like I'm not muscly at all. I have no muscles. Yeah, because you know? your uh your methods so far have been about uh about like all, active walking and diet, right? Yeah, it's all been cardio and diet, yeah. so Maybe I should get some. Mu- maybe if maybe she would like it if I had muscles. I don't know. I don't really know how to get them. Well, I'll tell you how to get them, Ben. You need to pick things up and then put them down, over and over and over again. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds like a lot of work. It it is a lot of work. I've been a four times to the gym a week person. I think for the last several months and yeah. not seeing big gains. <laughs> 
Which is fine. Like, I'm getting stronger, um, but I'm not getting jacked, and that's fine. Because even when I worked out a ton, I never got jacked. I just got, like, lowercase s shredded. I think jackedness is not available to certain body types. I think I am that type of body, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. I would settle for feeling better about myself, but that is the (laughs) highest mountain that I could possibly climb. So, (laughs) good luck. Saru pretty much has her dead to rights here because the Dorothy Garad has a has a gun to the back of the Orion ship's head. I mean, we never see the Orion ship, right? No, and we see it on a view screen, and it kind of looks like a Star Wars ship. Oh, yeah, it does have a little bit of a, like, the icon. Yeah. Like, the tactical icon looks like a TIE fighter, right? Yeah, what does that suggest? I was wondering if that's, like, a saucer section and two nacelles that are kind of beside it yeah and you're and we're seeing it from the top down yeah the ship could be spherical and then like the targeting scanner could be the two slash lines also yeah do we ever see the garage from the outside yeah we do uh in the first part of the comic the first half we see it it's really fucked up looking i don't remember what it looks like yeah so maybe that is the garage because it's nacelles are to the side of the saucer like that yeah, it's got the uh, it's got the star drive section like directly below the saucer, and then the nacelles come up on either side like a bracket. I don't like the proportions of my ships that way. I like them stretched out, like a doggy on a couch, like legs forward and back. I I would say that the explodiness of the of the nacelles uh, has me thinking that it makes a lot of sense to put them somewhat aft yeah. of the saucer section, <laughs> you know? Keep them away from the people. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. E- even just a little bit, you know, could, could, could be the difference between life and death. You know, like in a lot of, uh, in a lot of war movies, you'll see fighter jets, uh, uh, hit buttons and release their, their fuel tanks in order to go yeah. faster or, or be more maneuverable or whatever. You never see a Federation starship eject the warp nacelles for any reason. That, they're, they're always wanting to eject the core, but not the nacelles. I wonder if that's a yeah. thing that they're able to do ever. We're, like, we're halfway through Deep Space Nine at this point in our, in our watch through of Star Trek on The Greatest Generation. Mm-hmm. Have we ever actually seen a warp core come out of a ship, or is it always that the ejection system is offline? God, I don't know. They talk about that all the fucking time. Yep. Such a tease. Can you eject the core? I'm trying. It's not working. Well, anyways, the uh, the Orions, uh, they basically have them dead to rights, so uh, so Saru basically offers... I mean, I, I would say that he offers them... A way better deal than they deserve, which is like yeah. put everybody back on board their ships, and we won't even we won't even seek to bring you to justice. A ship that I don't believe is disabled in any way, like would still be able to do the same shit next to the nebula to someone else. Right, a, a surprising amount of restraint. I wonder what the captain of the Garad thinks about this because it's also like she's also a captain and Saru is just a commander who's being who's got a temporary captain gig. You meet her for a moment, uh Captain Holden, you meet her for a moment in that first half of the comic. You don't really see her or hear from her again yeah. ever in this ep. And I think the button on the story may may explain this a little bit, Ben. We 
we come to learn over dinner between Michael and Saru that Saru will not have the acting part of the acting captain title uh, changed to permanent captain. He will not be the captain right. at all. And I think a big reason for that would be his conduct on this mission. He let the Orions go, A. And then two, uh, he made it into a solo mission where he just ran around uh, incapacitating <laughs> people. And then three, uh, like never communicates with Starfleet at all about his conditions or his circumstances. Like this rogue mission by Saru, I think. Is yeah, he was never a- even radioing with Reginald Vell Johnson. Yeah, not a good look. So I, I actually side with Starfleet on the on the not promoting of him because the yeah. the very last frame is the very first scene in season two. It's their yeah. it's their meeting with the Enterprise. And it's his personal log kind of making peace with the idea that this is not it is not yet his time to be captain. But he needs to be cool with that. He needs to be like he needs Saru's to see log. Mistakes were made. <laughs> End of log. <laughs> well, I mean, mistakes were made, and I think he's acknowledging that, but also um, trying to see the good in that. Like, this was a, this was genuinely a learning opportunity, and and that's good. And I think that that's, that's a cool message. Like, and I think cool that this world can can have a message like that like everything doesn't need to be an unqualified success to be to like provide uh movement in a positive direction hmm uh my thoughts might be best contained within a did you like this segment of the show ben well did you like this segment of the comic book adam i mean that's i think that's my problem with this issue is that the stakes were always ever so low even though like on paper if you're looking at things bullet pointed out the stakes are extremely high like over dinner michael all michael talks about is the bet she has with saru about whether or not he'd be captain and not Mm -hmm. ever about the idea that she was marooned in an orion prison and about to be sold into slavery well i don't think we saw their entire dinner yeah, I mean, this is Paris. This is a three-hour dinner situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the French really, they really know how to do it. I was sad to see Paris uh, has has lifted all of the height restrictions on, on construction, though. Yeah. I mean, Paris is a beautiful city, but all those skyscrapers seem unnecessary to me. Yeah, they ruin the skyline for you. Yeah, I mean, the, the Eiffel Tower should stand alone. Mm. That's my opinion. If anybody in the urban planning department of the city of Paris uh, wants the opinions of one asshole, mm-hmm. holler at your boy. <laughs> yeah. I think my issues with the comic are about stakes primarily. Like, there's it's, it's super fun. Oh, is that what they're eating at dinner at the end? It's fun, but it's toothless. And it yeah. feels like a comic for someone who... This is going to sound like like negative, but it feels like a a comic for a kid to enjoy because the mm. violence is very cartoonish, the stakes are very low. Uh it leans into like you really need to make some leaps to to get with the idea of Saru one man teaming the the mission here at the end. 
Like these yeah. are fully armed Orion units at, that he is dispatching with ease. And there's never any question about his ability to do that. And I just, w- it never felt like anyone was in real danger. And that felt like, uh, that felt like a missed opportunity. The comic itself like is beautiful and great as all of these Star Trek Discovery comics are. But um it felt like the stakes for for the Klingon comics were a little higher and and I yeah. kind of missed that intensity. What about you? I I mean, I think that I like it more than you did uh from what I can tell. I do agree that it does wind up feeling a little trite, but what I wound up appreciating about it was the like personal growth that Saru is able to find in it in spite of uh it not having been a, a great success yeah so and I think it's like it's kind of an interesting thing to think about season two uh like if you imagine that this is the thing that immediately preceded Season two, like this is what is on Saru's mind when he's on the bridge when they encounter the entrepreneur. Yeah, is like is like a pretty wild thing to to think about, um, and it and it also makes me want more in the show of Saru going on one man uh, Ronin missions. Yeah, like yeah, like I do really want to see him fucking shred some baddies. <laughs> right, like weaponized Saru has always been on the table. And it's so rarely deployed in a story. I do really like that. It's sort of like how Data was used fairly often in TNG as as a perfect weapon, but only in the context of him going rogue. You know, like he right. he was infrequently deployed as a one man wrecking crew. Uh, yeah, you know, for the purposes of helping Picard. Right. Well, Adam, uh, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages in the inbox? Yeah. Let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, Adam, no priority one messages for this episode, but if folks would like priority one messages, uh, you can go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron, where a personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 bucks and help us make this program possible. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden. 
isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Yeah, I think I got a double Shimoda, the uh, the Orions that get their heads coconutted. Mm. Just like imagining the process of being a space warrior who has committed himself to being a big, muscly, scary man with a giant gun. And there's two of, two of those guys who wind up going out by just getting their noggins bonked together. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that's very Shimoda to me. That is not a great way to go out, right? No. Kind of embarrassing. It's by far the most embarrassing. Like the ones that get gassed in the uh, in the arboretum, like, you know, you can't control that. Once you come to, I feel like you make a deal with the other guy who you've been coconutted against and you're like, we're not going to tell anyone about that, right? Other guess like, yeah. Saru is surprisingly good at sneaking, given the fact that he has hooves. Like, <laughs> wouldn't he be clopping up behind people? Boy, he really would be. He he wears boots uh, on the ship, though, right? That's why you don't hear him on the show. Yeah, maybe he's got, like, memory foam horseshoes. Yeah, he's got sketchers. <laughs> Did you have a drunk Shimoda? It's hard for me to choose anyone besides Saru himself. And I say that because if at any point someone walked into the ready room and just shot him, the <laughs> mission's over, the crew is sold into slavery, and Vera has all of the ships. 
All of them. It seems like the stakes are so high, and to place himself and only himself in harm's way seems like a uh, a stakes to the thing that, like, it's too much to bet on yourself. What's the plan B if this doesn't work, Saru? <laughs> Maybe they you just run out of runway. Like, you work within the confines of the 50 pages you get. Right. But I wonder I wonder if this weren't if this was a 75 page annual if there weren't a plan B on the table where that we would have understood at that point. Yeah, I found myself wondering is this is this an amount of writing that is commensurate with like an episode or is this a like a short tricks like how how much content is here if if this was shot and put up on the screen it seems like 20 or 30 minutes worth, right? There is a really neat uh, thing at the end of this comic where they show you how a comic goes from uh, bullet points into production. Oh, yeah. And it really looks like uh, like the sort of outline you would see before writing a script. It's, it's just... And there's no format to it, which is interesting. They're like, you know, creatives who work in comics just agree on a format that's understandable to all parties. And so... Yeah the creatives involved here just kind of number out the pages and then what they want to see on those pages. And then interpretations are made by the inkers, uh, the colorists and the, and those that do the text, I guess that doesn't quite answer your question, but it seems like if you're constructing a story, you're at least beginning with, with an outline in a, in a, in a script like conventional way. Like the thing that is coloring our thinking about this is that in film production, there's a very standardized format for screenplays, right. and there's like a reason for that, which is that the the math of one page equals one minute of screen time tends to be pretty consistent yeah. with the format that everybody uses, and like literally everybody uses it. So if you see a script on a table, like just based on its thickness, you can estimate what kind of thing you're looking at you know yeah it's interesting though like at the end of this comic when you see how that sausage gets made i rarely get that when you're doing pre-script outlines you're you're hammering the visual as much and i understand with comics that's almost entirely the point but to like begin with the visual and then backfill with story was such an interesting technique to see being yeah. used like i i want to believe that you have a lot of control from the start about how many pages it takes to tell certain parts of a story yeah we should try and write a comic sometime yeah we've got friends in the biz it all starts with an eight ball of coke i even have the the seeds of an idea that, that sounds threatening oh yes <laughs> well uh we have friends in the comics industry we also have uh friends of the greatest discovery the greatest of which being rob schulte who is the producer of the show at this point i think we will hand it off to him the greatest discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by adam pranica and ben harrison and it's produced and edited by me rob schulte our theme music is by adam ragusia head on over to maximumfun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show 
And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.